0: Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com.
1: Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it.
3: Hi. Hi. Welcome to Old Millennials, a deep dive on shallow topics from the late 90s and 2000s. I am one of your hosts, Margot Poupard. And I'm your other host, Emily Bajin. Of all of the sensory nostalgia, nothing puts you more firmly in a place and time than snacks. I don't know about you, but the only snacks in my house growing up were Kudos bars and Tofutis. Maybe a Bobby Bell if I was at my grandma's. But I lived for the days when I got to go over to a friend's house after school and they were the friend with the good American snacks. (laughs) So, I You know, yeah, I felt similarly in many ways. <laughs> right. I wasn't really sure if you had the same sort of like there was a no soda and we were a no soda household, like barely even juice. Like sometimes I could get like a Capri Sun or something, but definitely like not Sunny D. Sunny D was like restricted to school only where I could like sneak it like a drug addict. And um I... I think, I mean, it should make sense because I also grew up in a house without a microwave that it was very like, um, I want to say like crunchy granola. But then I'm sure if my mom ever heard me say that, she'd be mad. But she was just she's just against sugar, I suppose. But Kudos bars are like the gateway drug to like Nature Valley bars because those things are okay, I guess. But then if you eat one that's like too old, it is horrendous.
0: And the Kudos bars, you know, they it, they could get very unhealthy very quickly. Like in concept, you know, as a packaging, they are granola bar, but they had M&M Kudos bars. Like there yeah. were plenty of options. Covered in there. chocolate. But yeah. Some, I
3: feel like unfortunately with Kudos bars, like. It depended also like on the batch you got because some were better than yes. others. I, I would I have agree. To say.
0: I would agree, and I will say my household a little bit different than yours. Like I think we were taught to- we we tolerated a few more things, and maybe that's because like my dad grew up in Canada versus Europe. But generally, like you, I mean, we were very rarely had very sugary cereals in the house. We did not have a lot of junk food. Like we were pretty, yeah, pretty on the. Healthy ish side at our house.
3: Yeah. If it was like a fruit snack, if I got one of those, it would be like real fruit. So it'd be like dried fruit. And a lot of our snacks were Trader Joe's snacks. Oh, we love Trader Joe's. Yep. Yeah. So, but like before they became the Trader Joe's snacks that you know now, they were, it was much more limited at the time. For sure. So it was sure. like a lot of like dried fruit. They had some like um, oh God, like a little like mini croissants. Well, I guess they still have those now that you can like heat up, but they had like a variety of different snacks. And the real treat was the tub. Well, they still have those now, thank God. The dress circle chocolate chip cookies. Mm-hmm. Those bring me back. Those are so good.
0: We got Trader Joe's, I think on the East Coast in the 90s. And for us, that was like, it was definitely great because French people love Trader Joe's, by the way. Like anytime you meet a French person who has spent time mm-hmm. in the U.S., spend time by Trader Joe's, like immediately the conversation goes to Trader Joe's. Because um, it reminds me of Monoprix. Like it's a lot of, you know, similar appetizer, oh, sure. frozen, you know, fun stuff. Um, but yes, it fun was stuff. fun stuff. My no, but I will say when I was a kid, you're right. Like Trader Joe's wasn't the place where it is today, which is like this fancy take on existing junk foods. Like, oh, yes, I can eat this Reese's cup because it's dark chocolate, you know, like when we were kids, it was a lot more limited, so much so that my sister called it trader craps. Like she hated it so much. Wow.
3: Yeah. What I wouldn't have what I wouldn't give to go back in time with cookie butter being available. You know, I yes I that's my dream, my wish. The only time I'd be able to just eat raw cookie dough was when we would have like these annual sales where you get things from magazines and sometimes you could get like a tub of cookie dough to like make cookies at Christmas. And my mom would do that, you know, in earnest, but I would eat a majority of the tub before they took their final form as an actual cookie. So I would have loved some cookie butter spread back in the day. Probably would have saved me a lot of being yelled at, Um, but I guess you have Nutella. Any other uh, honorable mentions or favorite snacks of the 90s that we're not going to get super in-depth on today? Yeah, I'm trying
0: to think. I mean, Definitely, I loved a fruit roll-up, fruit by the foot. Oh that was my one. God,
3: yes. What a treat and a and dream.
0: Did you ever wrap on a plastic straw? We would wrap the fruit by the foot and eat it like a lollipop or something. Like I don't know who started this trend at my school, but for a while, people were just wrapping their fruit roll-up or fruit by the foot on a plastic straw and like, eating at at it like a cake pop or a I don't know what a popsicle it was weird
3: no weird trend our our thing was like trying to bite it into like a shape like trying to like fold it in half and like bite it into a star yeah that was our (laughs) middle school thing which is very it's like uncomfortable to describe out loud I was like ew that's gross and weird (laughs) what a good time
0: what other kind of nineties? I mean, they're still very readily available today and have been around forever. But um, you know, uh, what are they called? Like um, drumsticks or king cones? It's like oh the ice my sp- god! Oh yeah. yeah! I mean,
3: let's not even get into ice, ice cream, cream trucks, yeah, because yeah, the strawberry shortcake that has like yeah. the actual kind of like cake kind of yep. texture on the outside and then the strawberry ice cream on the inside. The Flintstone popsicles! Oh my god! Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. I I. The last time I was at a park where a ice cream truck went by, I wanted to go up. But I would have literally been the only adult buying for herself there. And I was like, I don't (laughs) want to be judged by all these park moms. (laughs) (laughs) So I'll just watch from afar and I'll try to influence my nephews to buy the ice cream that I want in hopes that I can just, they'll get sick of it and I can finish the rest of it (laughs) when they're done. (laughs) My plan didn't really work, but... Next time I'll just go up there, but I I would also say gushers were my favorites Mm -hmm. because I loved a, it's either a sour candy or a chocolate candy. So yeah. Yeah. I would say the same, um,
0: from a chocolate standpoint. I mean, it's still the one to get, one of the things we could have at our house was Nutella. Like that was actually something. And I, to this day, I just like, it is very hard for me to ever keep a jar in the house because I will take a spoon into the jar and snack on it, like just like lick at it, like a weird fetish. It looks like I'm doing some weird fetishy thing, but really it's just like savoring the Nutella on a spoon while watching TV.
3: It just makes me think about a scene from The Walking Dead where Carl, Rick's son, finds a thing of like, put like a giant thing of chocolate pudding and sits on a roof and just eats the whole thing <laughs> by himself and like that's what i feel like i look like when i eat a whole tub of nutella by myself but yep. you know we don't want to kill the rainforest and palm no, oil know is bad and there are actually lots of like oh, good substitutes that are that taste a lot like nutella that i will happily <laughs> eat or my favorite thing is to go to a restaurant they're like we make our own like nutella here that's Palm oil free, and it's also delicious. So you know, I'm always looking for those opportunities to pop up.
0: <laughs> it's funny because when before
3: we started recording, we were talking about
0: supply chain issues. Oh God, <laughs> the issue supply dessert. chain who them? <laughs> so supply chain who them? And I gotta say, there was literally an article I saw on how they use Nutella to explain just how fucked our supply chain issues are because it's a perfect example of how we are set up to fail. Because of what it requires from a production standpoint and how it's, you know, you have think parts of it produced in North Africa, Middle East. You have parts of it produced in other parts of the world. Like
3: it's a it's a logistical nightmare to make a tub of Nutella in short. And that's the analogy for our supply chain problem that's currently happening. Exactly. Wow, I don't exactly. feel I do not feel full of hope for <laughs> a quick resolution. <laughs> Well, luckily, one thing that we can count on is that at least the two snacks that I'm going to talk about today have made a comeback in the late 2020, early 2021. So at least that's something you guys can count on unless that's caught up in a supply chain. So <laughs> I'll try not to think about it or mention it again. Do you want to go first or do you want me to go first?
0: Um, I think you can go first and then I'll I'll go into to my, one of mine.
3: All right, then I'm going to start with Dunkaroos, if you will cast your mind back to a simpler time. (laughs) Launched in 1988 under the Betty Crocker umbrella of snacks, Dunkaroos are the snack-sized package containing cookies and frosting. As the name would imply, the cookies are meant to be dunked into the frosting before you eat it. Individual snack packages contained about 10 cookies and one cubic inch of frosting. I was kind of obsessed with that unit of measurement because I think... You always tried to fit like how to ration out your icing as best you can. Oh yeah, but I felt like there were there were always too many cookies for the amount of frosting. So now I know exactly how much frosting we got, which is one cubic inch. That doesn't seem like a lot.
0: No, and little
3: cookies. No, because you're right that
0: it was a very cookie heavy snack. Not enough dip, and like if you start out come in hot, you know you're. You're not set up for success towards the end. You're going to have some very dry cookies at the end.
3: The cookies are made into a variety of shapes, including a circle with the uppercase D, which is the only shape that is now featured in the current version. There were feet on them, sometimes a mascot in different poses. And oddly enough, I remember getting the air, the hot air balloon one, just being like, what the fuck does this have to do with Dunkaroos? <laughs> just a hot air balloon stamp on your cookie. <laughs> By 1993 they introduced four new flavors of frosting outside of their standard chocolate, chocolate and vanilla, chocolate chip, cinnamon, peanut butter and rainbow sprinkles and obviously rainbow sprinkles was incredibly popular. Dunkaroos didn't reach this zeitgeisty level until the 90s even though they were launched in the late 80s because with a little help of marketing push by way of a commercial with a very excitable kangaroo who explained the product's name was a combination of Dunk and Kangaroo. Sydney, the original mascot, wore a hat, vest, and tie, and spoke with an Australian accent, and was voiced by—I don't know if you know this—John Cameron Mitchell. Wait, what? I know. I was like, when I read when I read that, I clearly was like, the John Cameron Mitchell, and yep, there he is. Isn't that so? Yes, isn't that so random? Oh my god! And now he's going to be Joe Exotic. In I know. The, I scrolled yes. all the way down, and I was like, oh my god! Oh my god. And
0: then this, yeah, surprise <sighs> on surprise. My friend Susanna saw him in Brooklyn a couple of years ago because apparently he lives near her. Fun fact.
3: Well, another fun fact is that at the height of their popularity in 1996, they had a contest known as Dunkaroo's Kangaroo Kangahoo search. <laughs> and it resulted in a new mascot, Duncan, who is named for the Duncan Daredevil. Sydney was then replaced by the more. Sporty Duncan. And that's when things started to decline maybe a little bit. See, this is just like the Super Mario principles. Like when you get too greedy, you die. So why did, would you ruin a good thing? <laughs> anyway, they maintained their stranglehold on kids' lunchboxes through the 90s and a little and then held on to those kids and turned them into a devoted following into the 2000s. But then it started to become harder and harder to find it even before the U.S. halted productions in 2012. Sales did decline, and they never reached the zenith of the 93 to 96 years, and they eventually were taken off the shelves in 2012, but they were still available in Canada until 2017. Drunk drop in popularity stemmed from obligations of lobby groups over the brand's advertising of sugary, unhealthy foods to children. Brad Hirigana, the chief brand officer for General Mills in North America, touched upon this topic and his interview with the New York Times. Back in 2012, the company was focusing on healthier and more nutritious snacks like a lar Bar and Nature Valley, speak of the devil. A high, a high sugar, high fat treat like Dunkaroos just didn't make any sense as the kind of snack that they wanted to be known for at the time. After Dunkaroos were discontinued in the U.S., around 2016, an unofficial Canadian campaign called Smuggleroos began in earnest, and it encouraged <laughs> Canadians traveling back to the States to bring the snack to Americans who wanted it. But by January of 2018, General Mills discontinued Dunkaroos in Canada. But the following year, Nestle had an unofficial Dunkaroos faker that featured a chocolate hazelnut, a sort of like our beloved Nutella flavor with a kangaroo biscuit, but it was only available in Australia. But in February of 2020, General Mills announced the return of Dunkaroos. In January of 2021, they released a Dunkaroos cereal, followed by a Dunkaroos Go-Gurt flavor, which is...
2: Uh.
1: Um,
3: abomination i don't we don't like that why are you doing that and that's the backstory of dunkaroos i i told emily before we turn the mics on a lot of the news cycle or even just trying to find more information on the two i'm going to talk about doritos 3d next but uh, a lot of the information was sort of focused on the fact that Dr- Doritos 3D and Dunkaroos relaunched in 2020. And so everybody reported on it and sort of, and it took over the SEO and everybody's sort of regurgitating the same four to eight facts from the press release, except for one article talked about how Tyler, the creator tweeted out in 2012 about where he could find Dunkaroos. So that's the most pertinent cultural information that I have on <laughs> Dunkaroos, but I Loved those. I definitely traded for some Dunkaroos. I would also try to stockpile like the frosting. Like,
1: Mm. I would try to get as many
3: Dunkaroos as possible and then, like, kind of cull the cookies. Into one thing. And so I would try to like the different kinds of frosting. So I could make I could maximize the amount of frosting to cookie ratio. But you always ended up with too many cookies. Were you a Dunkaroo gal?
0: You know, I kind of I think I appreciated uh some of the other uh cookie snacks on the market mm-hmm. more. So uh I but yeah, dunkaroos, not as much. I will say though, the frosting I really enjoy, and I think it's pretty much the same thing as fun frosting, which is something that i love
3: um, or just like betty crocker frosting yeah. like i've also eaten frosting straight from the can and been like this is just like dunkaroos
0: <laughs> i i'm like my own person of like my own moderator on those things because my my stomach like after
3: 5 spoonfuls <laughs> will just be like bitch no like it's not good for you, and you're not meant to eat a can of frosting. No. It will <laughs> make you ill on purpose yes. to teach you a lesson. You know one thing that we didn't touch on in the honorable mentions section? But I also don't know if it was big in your house because it definitely was, like, rare to never in mine. But Lunchables? Oh, yeah.
0: Occasionally, and that's only because my sister and I begged our parents. Yeah, like, same. We would have them once in a while, but it was. I feel like my sister had them more than I did. Mostly, we, I ate a lot of tuna fish sandwiches, um, and yeah, not as many lunchables for sure.
3: My mom was like, "That's stupid. Here's a bunch of crackers and some cheese and saucisson and go to town." Like, yes, <laughs> there's, that's basically a lunchable. Uh, you're welcome. I'm not spending five dollars or whatever it is on it. That's, but they yeah. also, I remember I got the pizza Lunchable because I begged hard enough and it was- That was the one, te- yep. It was terrible. I remember being no. like, this is a mistake. No. So that cured me of my Lunchable ales, but I'm sure lots of people have very fond memories.
0: We sometimes ate, um, they made microwavable, lunch-sized- um, one And this is once in a while, and I can't believe I consumed this as a child, was, like, the Chef Boyardee, which, like, in hindsight is so disgusting. Oh, my God. Um, I know. Occasionally I would get one of those, but, like, yeah, we were not – we did not get to eat a lot of the junk foods of yore. Like, it was – um yeah, it was just not always allowed in our house, but occasionally for sleepovers. And I will say this, like the one thing I'm about to talk about now, sir, uh, I'm about to talk on now, Surge, was something that we only had when like we had friends over for a sleepover. Mm-hmm. Um, And because we were talking about sugar tolerance, I got to say like it is one of the biggest barometers of adulthood. It's just your tolerance of sugary things. Like <laughs> when I was a kid, I could just like – Eat or drink just about anything regardless of sugar content like you know it was maybe not delicious but like I wouldn't feel anything about it now I can barely drink like a little bit of apple juice without diluting it like I am my own mother um, and I feel like the real turning point was when I bought a case of Surge when they came back in 2014, when they had their resurgence, if you will. Stop. Stop uh, I right know. there. That's my only pun. It's my only pun. I promise. I was so excited to order this case. And the moment I opened the first can, I knew I just like I couldn't have any more. I essentially gave away or threw away the remaining 11 out of 12 cans because I could not consume this anymore. It looks like the inside of a glow stick and after like three sips, I was wired. Like it was like I'd had three Red Bulls. I just, I can't. And I read the nutrition facts, 56 grams of sugar per 16 ounce serving. Like who, who is taking, like that is, I, I just, I can, that's when you can visually see sugar. You can see it like you're measuring it. It's there. It's like a little mound of sugar. I I don't know who is still drinking
3: this. Do you drink Surge? Have you ever had Surge? I've never had Surge. I'm so sorry. No. Yeah. You know, I was, again, because I never had a lot of soda, I was pretty standard and not very adventurous. And it was either Coke Diet Coke or Sprite. And that was it. Not even 7-Up. I didn't like 7-Up because it was too sugary and like Sprite to me tasted less sugary and more like, well, more like synthetic lemon lime, you know, (laughs) which was more of what I was after. So I never had a Surge um i guess i've had like i mean i also like a cactus cooler too that was also my my jam but yeah i would actually would rather do like a lemonade or an arnold palmer because i'm a fucking nerd
0: no i love that's the thing like to this day if i'm having lunch somewhere and it feels right an arnold palmer with like a club sandwich or a caesar salad oh my god like please and thank you like (laughs) Amazing.
3: Uh, The only reason why I ever even tried Dr. Pepper, which I hate, is because my friend Trevor, who's been on the podcast before, paid me, like, dared me, like, was like, I'll give you a dollar and I dare you to try it. And it was so disgusting to me. Wow. Yeah. I don't know. I I guess it's just something that like I just didn't do a lot of. And I was like, Coke is great. Diet Coke's even better. I love Sprite. And these are my things and I don't need to expand my horizons. (laughs) No,
0: that's fair. I mean, in our house, we did have a bit more soda than your house, but it was definitely Diet Coke or Diet Sprite. Like, aspartame was no, not a care on my parents. List. <laughs> like it was, that was kind of strictly it. So again, yeah, surge was a rare, a rare thing, but once in a while I was, I was into it, but yeah, in hindsight is so disgusting. So it's actually, one of those things that was produced in the nineties and its first run was really short. So it comes out in like the mid nineties through Coca-Cola and it's put out there to compete with Mountain Dew it basically ends up being a prototype for the energy drink market of the 2000s like it looks i mean you think about like monster energy and red bull and the amount of sugar content on those and like they they were putting a lot of those chemicals into surge um okay well yeah. s-
3: then spiritually i've had a surge
0: you spiritually had a surge you've had you've had the better <laughs>
3: I don't know if Red Bull would necessarily qualify no. as better. And then no. definitely was loved those Monster Energy drinks for a long time. And then they were banned at my high school because they looked like 40s. They did look like 40s. And then in college, Monster came to like a Cal Day event and they gave out Monster coffee drinks. And so I was very into those for a long time. So, yeah, spiritually I've had a surge. It was, all, honestly, it was probably much worse than drinking a surge What I had, but... I, I think I think I can get on this level.
0: <laughs> um, for context, because Surge came out to kind of compete with Mountain Dew, Mountain Dew had been around for about fifty years prior to this. It had oh. been around yeah, so it had been around since the 1940s. It was made by like some bottler in Tennessee. Um eventually uh Pepsi would acquire the rights to this in about 1964, and Coke just kept trying to put stuff on the market to compete with Mountain Dew. So, in the 1970s, 1979, exactly, they put out Mellow Yellow, which you may remember, uh, to to compete with Mountain Dew. I associate Mellow Yellow with like being in a rec center pool, and like you're looking at the vending machine, and it's like those are the options, like Coke, Powerade, and the like Mellow Yellow or something. I, I think I've had it once in my life, and that's about it. And I don't really care to revisit it. Right? Um, It was never anywhere close to Mountain Dew. Uh, Up until the mid nineties, Mountain Dew had 80% of what they call the heavy citrus soda market. (laughs) I did not know that was a term, but it's supposed to differentiate it from like the sprites and seven ups of the world.
3: Of course. Okay.
0: I love that Coke and Pepsi essentially are like Marvel and DC comics when it comes to soft drinks. And they're like, one has one. They're like, oh, we got to come out with like the competing. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. So you like Superman, Captain America, uh, Mountain Dew, Surge, like, that's kind of how it all worked, and Coke really doubled down on this, not just with Pepsi, but with a bunch of other like beverage companies in the '90s. They went with Fruitopia, which you might remember, to compete against Snapple. They went with Nestea to compete against Lipton, and then with Powerade, they came out within the '90s to compete against Gatorade. So Coke did this in response to all the success they had had with making Sprite the winner in the lemon lime, the soft lemon lime (laughs) drink (laughs) battle after finally sales of Sprite would end up overtaking 7-Up. So back to Surge, Coca-Cola's Norwegian division put out this drink in 1996 called Urge, and it was so incredibly popular with Norwegians that Coke was like, hey, let's make this happen in the U.S. and try to make this a competitor to Mountain Dew. They changed the name to Surge, and in the United States... Uh, they changed it to green. So urge in Norway, because of the laws in place to not allow food coloring to that extent, because no one should be eating anything that is artificially that lime green. Um <laughs> They have it like in a more natural orange color and it's actually still available to this day. Like they never cease production. But anyway, I digress. While in production, it was known when they were going to bring it to the United States, it was known as MDK or the Mountain Dew Killer. So like in white papers, in internal documents of in Coca-Cola Company, they kept calling it the Mountain Dew Killer. So Surge was intended to improve on Mountain Dew. They used maltodextrin for longer-lasting blasts of energy, which is, like, why they're the prototype for energy drinks. And then the color is significantly greener than Mountain Dew. And, like, Mountain Dew is already pretty lime green. So, it's just – we can't be putting good things in our body when we drink these things. Anyway. (laughs) Before they marketed Surge's release, uh, with a fifty million dollar nationwide marketing campaign that included a one point two million dollar Super Bowl ad in the nineteen ninety seven, Coca Cola had to settle in court with Babson Brothers, a dairy equipment company over the rights to the name Surge, which that company was using for their milking machines for cows, they never disclosed the amount. But if Coca-Cola was like putting $50 million towards marketing budget for this soda that like they had no idea if it was going to go anywhere... Those dairy people made a lot of money. Anyway, uh, the ad campaigns are very much like the Mountain Dew ge- energy of the 90s. So like extreme sports, you know, you had a lot of mountain bikers. You had a lot of skateboarders. It was all it was all very extreme and to almost as if to give you the impression that this beverage full of sugar and artificial flavoring was going to be the thing that gives you the energy to do these extreme sports. Like, I don't know. <laughs> But it, it you, that was so common, though, in the 90s, like, as if to say, like, this is how I get my energy <laughs> to do these extreme athletic feats. I'm just going to drink this soda here with 50 grams of sugar. Like, who is doing this? Um, Coke also used provocative catchphrases when they were marketing Surge for, like, this extreme energy. They're saying stuff like, feed the rush. Life's a scream fully loaded citrus soda like there was just this energy in these commercials that we ma- that I mean I can't even do the voices with a straight face like it was outrageous um and somehow supposed to be an energy drink to these people but anyway the sales of Surge would end up causing Mountain Dew to go from owning about 80% of this market to 66% in the late 90s, uh, which at the time, according to this New York Times article I was reading that came out around then, accounted for about $5 billion of the estimated $55 billion in soft drinks sold annually in 1998. So it was a pretty big market. And eventually, Surge is going to come in and try to rebrand as a more, like, millennium-esque branding. Like, they're going to use the same, like, you know, when you got a beeper, like, the numbers, how they show up. I forget what that's called, but, like, the crystal... LCD numbers, they used that in the logo for Surge. They ended up changing the branding a bit, but eventually it would just kind of lag in sales, so much so that in 2003, it ended up seizing production in most markets, apart from Norway, where they would continue to bottle Urge. Um, And then over time, there would actually be a bunch of campaigns to get Surge bottled again. Um, And Coke's response to this in the mid 2000s was to come out with Vault, which I had completely forgotten about, which it was kind of surge like, but eventually was discontinued like a couple years later. But there were several Facebook groups that led to Coca-Cola to re-release the drink. So they said in 2014, they made a deal with Amazon Prime that they would sell these 12 packs of 16 ounce cans and yours truly bought that 12 pack and as i said earlier gave away the remaining 11 cans because i cannot drink that shit anymore and then what eventually pawn all of that shit off to it would be at parties at my house where people like oh my god you've surged i'm like yes please take a can like i can't drink okay. this and eventually i i think i ended up dumping a lot of the contents <laughs> of the can down a sink where some, you know, it probably ended up in like some toxic waste place. Like I might've killed a few fish. I was going to say the,
3: you're part of climate change. God. <laughs> Dumping yeah. surge
0: down your sink. I'm just like having visions of fern gully right
3: now. And I'm that monster. Like, <laughs> I just thought that you were like texting people the way that I got asked if I wanted a creme de menthe liqueur. I was asked <laughs> if, 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 if I liked it, and I was like, "Does anybody like it?" <laughs> and what are you getting at? Because the answer is no.
0: Really, <laughs> <laughs> all I have Sur- with search, other than like after this resurgence, it's now available. Oh my in a god, lot of places. <laughs> that's it. That's that's pretty much it.
3: <laughs> well, if there's one thing I know a lot about. It's chips. Chips are my fucking kryptonite. And I believe the patient zero of that is Doritos for me personally. It's not like I could ever have them in the house at all. It has nothing to do with that. It was more just, I don't know, cool. Every flavor was great. Cool ranch. Great. Nacho cheese. Great. Any other little specialty flavor. Now, you know, I'm more into the like dill pickle chip Mm
1: -hmm, variety mm -hmm.
3: or Korean barbecue or whatever. But Really, I can trace back all of my good feelings about loving chips and being able to crush a family-sized bag by myself in about 30 minutes. All stems back from Doritos. And so, you know, I always feel like you should connect with the source material, right? So I never knew any of this backstory about Doritos, which may be interesting to some of you, but it was definitely interesting to me. So I didn't know our beloved Doritos were created in 1964 for Frito Lay. The original Doritos were not flavored, which is a fucking crime. Then what are they? They're just like they're just like regular chips, I guess. Like they're tortilla chips. chips, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> then like what are they if they're not fucking flavored? <laughs> Come on, Frito Lay, what are you doing? Anyway, the most interesting part though is that the concept for Doritos originated in a restaurant at Disneyland. Made at... Casa de Frito, now Rancho del Zocalo, which I hope is not that fucking place that puts carrots in their goddamn burritos at Disneyland. I'm going to that place sucks. (laughs) I need to be on record. I had the worst burrito of my life there. But the term Dorito is a contraction of of the Spanish word Dora, Dora Tito, little fried and golden thing, which is a diminutive of Dorado, which is fried and golden thing. Hence Doritos. So they started by using surplus tr- tortillas and taking the original idea from the traditional Mexican snack known as Totopo, uh, the company that owned the restaurant then would cut them up, fry them up and add basic seasoning, sometimes resembling a little bit of like a Mexican chiliquile But. In this case, being dry. (laughs) Um, But Arch West, the vice president of marketing for Frito-Lay at the time, noticed their popularity and decided to strike up a deal in 1964 with Alex Foods, the provider of many of the items at Casa de de Fritos at Disneyland. And they produced the chips there on site for a long time before they became overwhelmed by the volume and demand. And Frito-Lay then moved the production in-house to their plant in Tulsa. The first flavor that they released was toasted corn, which... Again, like isn't that just tortilla chips? Like, do you mean this you just is... toasted the chip? I don't know. <laughs> I don't have any like historical context. So I just have to it's... believe my research.
0: I the closest I could think is like it's like the elote chip that Trader Joe's makes, but I, it I know it wasn't.
3: <laughs> right. And then you recommended those in our Patreon newsletter, correct? I did.
0: Shout out to our <laughs> Patreon newsletter. $5 a month, you get this great content, baby.
3: <laughs> Look at that mid-episode spawn. So the first flavor was toasted corn, released in 1966, which was only like a few years, uh, followed by taco flavor in 1967, then finally nacho cheese in 72. Other specialty flavors began to make their debut around the late 80s. And by 1993, according to Information Resources International, Doritos earned $1.2 billion in retail sales, a third of Frito-Lay's total sales for the year.
0: Wow. And this is like, I mean, they were a potato chip heavy brand for many years. This is big.
3: Yeah, I was really, I mean, one, what's $1.2 billion now? This is like $1.2 billion in 1993.
0: That's a lot so, of money. I'm not yeah. going to do Emily math tonight.
3: Yeah, and I don't want you to try guy, because we probably get it wrong. But it's safe to say it's a lot more than that now. (laughs) (laughs) But released in 1998 with a splashy Super Bowl ad starring Allie Landry and Sean Hayes in a laundromat. Soon after the commercial was so popular, Landry just became known as the Doritos Girl. They described Doritos 3D as Doritos meet Bugles. Flavors included jalapeno cheddar, nacho cheese and zesty ranch. They eventually went away kind of like by themselves. And recently, in December of 2020, they announced that they would be bringing back Doritos 3D. And it would be returning to shelves very shortly thereafter. So December 28th. And the snack would be available in Chili Cheese Nacho and Spicy Ranch. And also, you can see Doritos 3D all over He's All That on Netflix as well. Because Oh, Yeah. That kid Ooh, came yeah. down the steps. That was the, probably the first time I became aware that Doritos 3D were back again. Because I was like, oh, what I wouldn't give to have Doritos 3D right now. And then <laughs> I Googled were. it and look at that. My dream can be a reality if I just go to Safeway. <laughs> but that's all I have for Doritos 3D. It was a lot more just about basic Doritos. It was just another, you know, marketing ploy that did fairly well. And then it just sort of phased out. And now for another marketing push they've brought it back again because what's old is new except you can never tell me that about low-rise jeans that's old and should say dead in the past but those 3d can come hang out for sure low-rise jeans
0: are oppressive um yeah we don't need that we don't need that negative energy
3: um have you had any doritos 3d like recently currently in this timeline
0: not since the early 2000s so i have not had uh the updated the 2.0 Oh God,
3: the 4D. Um, I'll stop. <laughs> yeah, just talk about your your Oreo O's. Oh
0: God, it's just not even that exciting. Like it's really all everyone. It had nothing to do with like lackluster sales. It's really just a boring story about licensing rights and mergers um, and acquisitions. We're talking. We've talked a lot about like businessy terms this. In this episode, I don't like it, but here we go. Um in a world of Gaga Oreos, Halloween Oreos, Holiday Oreos, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, uh prior to Oreo O's, there were really only one special non-regular flavor of Oreos and it wasn't even a flavor, it's just double stuff Oreos, which has one F and I've never quite understood that. But anyway, until 1997, this was America's Oreo landscape enter Post Cereals and craft Foods, entering a joint p- partnership to put on Oreo O's in the cereal aisle. The idea came from an employee at Ogilvy & Mather in their advertising division, and they were wildly successful. They signed a, pr- a partnership that allowed the two food brands to share the profits from the cereal after it was released. And really, at the time, I feel like they were all over commercials. Like, you couldn't watch, uh, like, a Saturday morning cartoon block or a Nickelodeon without seeing at least one or two Oreo-O commercials. Like, there were just interesting, weird, like and i feel like in the late 90s the cereal commercials got you know kind of weird a little not like not like a drug trip but like just kind of extreme and like weird like i feel like i bet you a bunch of interesting movie directors got their starts on cereal commercials but one of the concepts they had was like the cream team like they had a extreme cream oreo that was another one that they did outside of just the regular oreo o which just kind of grosses me out but it was like Human like marshmallows that were sporting sunglasses. Like they had, they were just wacky commercials. Um, the apart from that, really, I mean, like Oreo O's had a successful run for about 10 years. Like they entered the market in 1997 and they were around in most markets until 2007. And the only reason they stopped was there was a point in which Kraft sold Post cereals in 2007. And without the cereal division, Kraft could no longer produce all the cereals that it was producing before. And without the rights to use the name Oreo, Post couldn't sell Oreo O's since like Kraft owned the rights. I guess they own Nabisco, whatever it was. Anyway, anyway, Long story short, neither of them could work anything out to continue producing Oreo O's. So it just kind of stopped happening at this point. Once they ceased the coast branding, they came to a point where in a section I've titled Why Are So Many Things Better in Asia? Things still were happening in South Korea. So due to an international loophole with the rights to Oreo O's, they were actually still available legally in South Korea. And so they were so wildly popular that people in the United States and other parts of the world would buy them off of eBay from third-party sellers for over $10 a box of cereals. Like, people were obsessed. And uh, this Korean food manufacturer, Dongsa Foods, established a venture with General Foods where they could distribute these all over Korea, the post-food cereals in Korea. And when Kraft acquired General Foods... They were able to have the licenses to make all of the Oreo O's and continue the licensing rights in South Korea. It gets very confusing after this because Oreo's parent company changed from Kraft to Mondelez International in 2012, which meant that the rights for Oreo O's could once again happen in the United States. So five years after this acquisition happened, they announced that they were going to bring back Oreo O's. And so they started by doing it as a subsidiary of Post, and I get super boring called Malto Mall Cereals. They put out kind of a generic looking version of Oreo O's. They didn't; it was just like called Cookies and Cream, but it was basically oreo o's it just had a different packaging it was like the trader joe's oreo o's if you will um they sold really well at walmart uh so post then announced that nabisco would once again co-brand the cereal and they were able to start releasing it again and since then it's been on the market and that's kind of it like there's really nothing else to share about oreo o's it was quite a boring story but a fun cereal that i kind of enjoyed because in terms of sugary cereals, there was some nutritional value. So once in a while, when we were allowed to have sugary cereals at my parents' house, uh, we would have Oreo O's. So that is one one day that I will probably try to revisit.
3: Yeah, you know, I'm sorry. I was just, I was a kooky crisp girl. I never oh. got to the Oreo O's. I did love, I mean, I love Oreos still and have not gotten my hands on any Gaga Oreos, which is kind of sad for me personally but uh I hope to rectify that in the future but um I love Oreos I just I feel like the cereal passed me by
0: it you know it was a very short run it was interesting cuz it's like probably a few years after they came out I was kind of no longer eating cereals as much anyway for breakfast so like I enjoyed them for about a year or so didn't really revisit them not since childhood at least so I don't know. I'm going to, that and Cookie Crisp. I'd be interested in retrying Cookie Crisp because that's been a while since I've had a bowl of that too. Cereal, a lot of kids cereals in general, I I haven't really touched much.
3: I cannot, I mean, maybe when I was working at a tech office space because they have, they love their cereal bars. Oh yeah. But I don't, I really, I'm not really a (gasps) cereal person to begin with.
0: You know what you reminded me of just now? Do you remember? I don't know if they still make these. Hmm. There were cereal companies at one point started making like bars of their cereal where they had like this weird condensed milk center. And then Ooh. it was almost like a rice. It's almost like a breakfast Rice Krispie Treat granola bar. Like they would do this with like. Fruit Loops, or um, I don't oh, know. You
3: know what? That does sound familiar, and I never ate one because it looked disgusting.
0: It well, they were not very good. Like I think, I oh, had, you don't say. <laughs> yeah, I just they were too sweet because it was like a weird condensed. It was almost like you had a cereal frosting thing for breakfast. Like just yeah, mm, not my thing. That and Go Gurt? Like just as a kid, I ate it, <laughs> but like if you could not pay me to eat that now.
3: Uh, most of the gogurt play all that shit has so much sugar in it so like much i can eat it i just get plain greek yogurt
0: i know when i was a kid this is gonna be the snob french in me i there are these french yogurts that you i don't think you can get them in the u.s because the fda can suck it like they you know for whatever reason what, like, the
3: like cream top ones yeah like
0: the petit gervais like they're just delicious they're not sugary at all. They're meant for little kids. They're fruit yogurts um, and they're delicious, oh. but they, the way they make them, I don't think like in the U S you'd be allowed to make them that way. I could be wrong, but like they had a similar one in Canada too called mini go that I was obsessed with as a kid as well. Like, but they never really had them in the U S kind of a bummer. Cause I feel like kids yogurts in other countries were
3: significantly better. I'd have to agree with you. I, plus, I mean, this, is this like an old person thought, but go to the yogurt aisle and there's so many options and never yeah. the one that I want. Like I want the easiest, least flavored shit you got. Yes, <laughs> Please. No, I feel the same way. No, I, I really thought,
0: you know what? From a breakfast standpoint of things I, I grew up ate, eating that I still enjoy today for breakfast, I would say yogurt is a go-to for me. Like I actually really enjoy... A nice bit of yogurt. Like it's just really simple with some fruit or some granola. Like I don't do it enough and like just talking about it out loud now. I'm like, oh, grocery list. I need to buy more Greek yogurt and, you know, make myself a nice bowl of yogurt every once in a while. Please stop
3: saying nice bowl of yogurt. It's I know. I st- sound so old. I know. I'll stop. Well, that's a great place to conclude unless there are any other. Snacks that are not yogurt-based that you want to talk about. <laughs> no, at this
0: point, I think I've just realized I I can't tolerate most of these things anymore. Although I would like to revisit Doritos 3D. I will say, like I too love a Dorito. And um that is one I am primed to revisit at one point.
3: I definitely see it happening in like a future road trip, going to the movies, like just maybe your birthday. Oh, yeah, definitely. (laughs) It's just gonna, again, I need someone to get bagels. (laughs) Okay. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you, if this is your first time listening to old millennials, go back and listen to any number of topics. And while you're there, give us a five, whether that be a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or $5 via our Patreon page. That's right. We have a Patreon and you too can join the Old millennials Cinematic Universe by giving us $5 a month. And if you are on the fence about whether or not you want to commit to that much, you will get only two pieces of content a month. So not an overwhelming amount, but good enough for, but a $5 worth. And yeah. you can read our very first newsletter that's up for free. So you can try before you buy. You can split your patronage with a friend. So you guys both pay two fifty. dollars You know, I'm just spitballing here, but please know <laughs> to visit us on Patreon at Old Millennials Pod. And also you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at the same handle at Old Millennials Pod. If you want to keep up with our latest and greatest Episodes or whatever we are up to. And you can follow us individually on Twitter. I am at Marg, she wrote.
0: And I'm at Emily A. And
3: until next time, we say buh-bye. bye bye. Bye.